J. Michael back in the Academy for another great episode in the study of the book of the Revelation. Let me ask you, are you enjoying this series as much as I am? There have been so many mysteries unlocked, and we have so many more to go. So, let's get right into this as we join as Pastor Don teaches about the mystery of the 144,000 witnesses. Thank you, as always, J. Michael, and I, as Mike, I hope you are enjoying this series um, as much as I enjoy doing it. This is a great series, and this is the, I think I mentioned before, this is the fourth time I've taught this series, and I enjoy it more and more every time because I get more and more out of it every time. So this is episode 19, The Mystery of the 144,000. And this has always been a mystery. People always wonder, what's the 144,000? And so I'm going to explain it. Revelation 7, verses 1 through 8, that's where we're at. If you want to take your Bibles, I hope you're coming with your Bibles. Revelation 7, verses 1 through 8. John writes, And after these things I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, nor on the sea, nor on any tree. And I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels, to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea, saying, Hurt not the earth, neither the seed nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. And I heard the number of them which were sealed, and there were sealed a hundred and forty and four thousand of all the tribes of the children of Israel. Of the tribe of Judah were sealed twelve thousand. Of the tribe of Reuben were sealed twelve thousand. Of the tribe of Gad were sealed twelve thousand. Of the tribe of Asher were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Nephthalim were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Manasseh were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Simeon were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Levi were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Issachar were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Zebulun were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Joseph were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Benjamin were sealed 12,000. Father, thank you for this portion of Scripture. Open up our understanding to this as we look at uh, this portion of the book of the Revelation. I pray that you'd open up the hearts, Lord, of people listening. I pray that they would share these with their families and friends, that they would come to understand what the end times hold. And more than anything, Father, if there's any listening to the sound of my voice, who are not born again, that before it's too late, they would receive Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. Help me now to teach this properly, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. In Revelation 6, we were witnesses to a world under a storm of divine judgment. The Lord Jesus took possession of the title deed to this planet in chapter 5. He began opening the seven seals of that title deed. He is beginning the process of redeeming this planet out of the hands of sin, of sinners, and of Satan. 
we watched Jesus open six of the seven seals on the scroll. Before he did, there was a great peal of thunder in heaven. Thus, thunder signaled the approaching storm of God's divine wrath. As each seal was opened, judgment and wrath began to be poured out upon the earth. I just want to remind you that we haven't seen the worst of the suffering and the sorrow that is coming upon this world. After the seals, seven trumpets will sound and seven bowls will be poured out upon the earth. As we move deeper into the heart of this book, we are going to see death and judgment and sorrow intensify. Before that happens, we are confronted with a divine parenthesis. Chapter 7 is a parenthetical passage that represents a pause in God's plan to judge the earth. The first part of the storm has passed. The worst part lies unseen in the future. We will examine the events that come later in due course. Today, we will consider the first part of Revelation 7. Let's watch as the Lord extends grace to a select group of people right in the midst of the tribulation period. Two groups of people are in view here in Revelation 7. The first group is identified as the 144,000 in verses 1 through 8. The second group is identified as a redeemed multitude in verses 9 through 17. We will consider the 144,000 today and, Lord willing, the redeemed multitude next time. Let's take these verses and see what God has to say about the 144,000 as I teach on the mystery of the 144,000. First of all, we see a deliberate pause. A deliberate pause. The reason for this pause is that God calls for a momentary peace to fall upon the earth because he has some divine business to transact. As God's wrath is rained down upon the earth, he pauses to answer a prayer that was prayed many centuries ago by the prophet Habakkuk. In Habakkuk 3.2, it says, O Lord, I have heard thy speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive thy work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make known in wrath, remember mercy. By the way, this chapter is a great encouragement. Even during a time when death suffering and wrath will reign supreme, God will still be extending grace and saving souls for his glory. This has always been the Lord's method of operation. He remembered mercy in wrath when the blood of the lamb was applied to the doorposts of the houses in Egypt, Exodus 12. He remembered mercy in wrath when he delivered Lot from Sodom, Genesis 19. He remembered mercy in wrath when he saved Noah and his family from the flood, Genesis 6. So let's take a look at this break in the action. We see the results of this pause. We are told that four angels stand on the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth. Some questions immediately begin to form in my mind when I read these verses. Who are these angels? Number one, who are the angels? From verse 2, it is clear that these angels have been given the power to execute God's judgment upon the earth. The word hurt carries the idea of injury without mercy. It is a picture of absolute destruction. These are avenging, judging angels. Number 2, what are they doing? They are holding back the four winds of the earth. 
When these angels appear, there will not be as much as a breeze blowing anywhere on the earth. There will not be a cold wind racing over the snow-capped peaks of Mount Everest. There will be no Chiracos blowing their scorching breath across the burning deserts of the world. There will be no ill winds or cool, pleasant breezes anywhere in this world. The winds will cease for a time. This is an awesome display of divine power. The winds that race through the atmosphere of this world are driven by tremendously strong forces like the sun and the rotation of the earth. Yet, four angels are able to restrain the winds. The word holding, they're holding back. The word holding translates a strong word. It was used to speak of horses straining against their bits. These winds are struggling to break free from the hold of these angels. So what is meant by the winds? The word winds should be taken literally. As I mentioned, there will be no wind blowing upon the earth. However, there is a sense in which the Bible uses wind in a spiritual sense. In Hosea 8-7, God says, For they have sown the wind, and they shall reap the whirlwind. We've all used that phrase so many times. So these angels are holding back the wind of divine judgment from off the earth as well. There's a lull in the storm as God takes care of his servants. God harnesses the winds of his divine judgment that they should not blow for a season. And what is meant by the four corners of the earth? Does this mean that God thinks the earth is flat? You know, there is a, a, a uh, flat earth belief out there. I think it's just crazy. Anyway, <laughs> God does not think the earth is flat. Many crazy people do, but not God. And so God does not think the earth is flat. He answers that in Isaiah 40, 22. It is he that sitteth upon the circle of the earth, and the inhabitants thereof are as grasshoppers that stretch out the heavens as a curtain, and spreadeth them out as a tent to dwell in. This is an idiomatic expression that refers to the four points of the compass. It is merely a figure of speech. The ancient Jews superstitiously believed that winds which blew out of the north, south, east, or west were favorable or good winds. They also believed that winds which came from between these directions, hence the four corners of the earth, were ill-favored winds, bad winds. These winds could certainly be described as ill-favored winds. And so, what is the significance of the number four? The book of Revelation uses numbers a lot. We've talked about that. Often, these numbers have spiritual meaning attached to them. For instance, the number seven is the number of divine completion. There are seven days in a week. There are seven colors in the spectrum. Revelation identifies seven churches, seven seals, seven trumpets, seven bowls, seven horns, and we'll see more. Four, on the other hand, is the number of the earth. There are four seasons. There are four elements, earth, wind, fire, and water, directions, etc. Here, four angels hold four winds in the four corners of the earth. This number just lets us know that we are dealing with events that are transpiring upon the earth. This is a time of earthly judgment. 
And so we see a deliberate pause, number one. Number two, in verses two and three, we see a divine personality. We see this angel. The identity of this angel, John watches a fifth angel appear on the earth. This angel rises from the east like a morning sun. Some have taken this to mean that this angel is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. However, the word another translates the Greek word alos, A-L-L-O-S, and tells us that this angel is just that. This is an angel. We may not know who he is, but we do know that he has awesome power. He comes commanding the first four angels to refrain from their mission of destruction upon the earth. So what's the intentions of this angel? This angel has come to seal the servants of God in their foreheads. By the way, if you don't know it by now, Satan is an imitator. He's a copycat, we used to say as kids. Throughout this book, he is seen attempting to duplicate many of the things God has done and is doing. We will see him mark a place on his servants in Revelation 13, verses 16 and 17. He will give them the mark of the beast. This mark will identify them as his servants, his servants. In this passage, we are going to see the Lord as he seals his own servants. The word seal refers to an official stamp. It brings to mind the signet rings used by kings to mark documents as official. A piece of wax would be placed on the document and the king's signet ring pressed into it. This seal signified possession, protection, and preservation. This is seen several times in the Word of God. In the Bible, there are several instances of God sealing his people. Noah and his family were sealed up in the ark in Genesis 7.16. Rahab was sealed by a scarlet thread hanging from a window in Joshua 2.18. The children of Israel were sealed by the blood of the lamb on the doorposts and lintels of their homes in Exodus 12.13. The clearest example of this is in Ezekiel 9 verses 3-6. through 6. Just as God sealed his servants in Ezekiel's day and protected them, he will do the same for his servants during the tribulation period. You know, while we're on this subject, let me just remind you that if you are not saved today, I'm sorry, if you are saved today, you too have been marked by God. If you're saved, you have been sealed by him. In Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, The Bible says, In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in which, I'm sorry, in whom also, after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. In verse 14, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession into the praise of his glory. When you were saved, an invisible mark was placed upon you. No one can see it, but it's there. God sealed you at the instant he marked you as his own. So what does this invisible mark mean? Number one, it is a seal of possession. God places his seal upon your life and marks you as being his possession. He claims you as his very own. He paid the ultimate price to redeem you from your sins, and he owns you now. 1 Corinthians 6, 19-20. What? Know ye not that your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, 
which ye have of God, and ye are not your own, for ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Because he owns you, he is going to return again for you someday. He will not desert you to the enemy. Can I get a powerful amen on that? I am so thankful. It is a seal of protection. Since we are his, we can expect him to protect us from the enemy, from the attacks of the enemy. Satan would love nothing better than to defeat us and drag our souls to hell. 1 Peter 5.8 talks about that. A roaring lion. But because we are sealed, he cannot get to us. We are kept by the power of God. 1 Peter 1.5, who are kept by the power of God through faith and to salvation, ready to be revealed at the last time. The word kept means garrisoned. Garrisoned. The Lord has set an eternal guard around our souls, and we are sealed and safe in him. Do you know, just a side note here, do you know that you cannot die? You cannot die. Not until God says so. I go into the prisons and work with the prisoners. I flow into the Middle East during the Iraq conflict. I've done a lot of things where people would ask me, what are you doing? Do you know where you're going? What if somebody fires a missile at your airplane and kills you? What if one of those prisoners sticks a shiv in you and you die? And I tell folks, you know what? Can't touch me. Can't touch me. <laughs> I've been sealed. I am sealed until the day of redemption. Now, if it's my time, God will call me home, and I'm okay with that. I tell people that, that uh, when I die, it's my time. I'm not afraid to die. You can't scare me with death. I just don't want it to hurt. <laughs> but we cannot die until God says it's okay. Take heart in that. Take heart in that. Be bold. Don't worry. Don't fear. We are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation to be revealed at the last time. So that was just free. I just kind of threw that in there. Number three, it is a seal of preservation. Ephesians 4.30 says, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. This verse tells us how long the seal would last. We are sealed until the day we arrive home in glory. Just as a jar of beans is sealed until someone pops that seal, we have been sealed by God and we are safe in Him until the day we make it home to heaven. My wife Cookie, she likes to explain it this way. It's like when you write somebody a letter, you know, using real paper and a real pen and you use your hand. You fold that piece of paper up and you put it in an envelope. And these days you don't lick it. You just peel that little piece of paper off and then it's sticky and that is sealed. And that doesn't get open until it, re it is received by the recipient. That letter is not opened. It's the same thing with us. God has sealed us and, and nobody can open that except for God. We are sealed unto the day of redemption. And so we see a deliberate pause, we see a divine personality, and then we see a distinct people. A distinct people, verses 4 through 8. Now we are introduced to the people the angel has come to seal. He calls them the servants of our God. The word servants is the word for slaves. These people are saved, sealed, sold out servants of God. But who are they? What do they do? 
Verses 4 through 8, we see, we see their origin. The Bible is very clear as to where these people come from. They are from all the tribes of the children of Israel. Over the years, many groups have tried to claim that they are part of the 144,000. Jehovah's Witnesses, the Worldwide Church of God, Seventh-day Adventists, among others, have all tried to make that claim. And look at when somebody comes up to you claiming to be a part of the 144,000, just ask them this question. Ask them, which tribe are you from? And that will always put them into silent mode and put them on the run because they aren't part of any tribe. Others have said that these 144,000 represent the church. The text is clear. These 144,000 are Jewish men called and saved out of the tribes of Israel. So this brings to mind a few questions that need to be answered concerning the Jewish men. Number one, why are there exactly 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes? 12 in the Bible is a number associated with Israel. There were 12 tribes in Israel. There were 12 loaves of bread on the table of showbread in the tabernacle. There were 12 gates into the city of Jerusalem. There were 12 stones in the breastplate of the high priest. The Lord is showing us that these men are from the nation of Israel. This teaches us a valuable lesson. God is not finished with Israel. He has a plan for their future restoration and redemption. There's again, there's, there's a movement out there that's saying that the church has replaced Israel as God's chosen priest, God's chosen people. That's nonsense. God is not finished with Israel. We as Gentiles, we're to pray for the nation of Israel. God is not through with his chosen people. So secondly, why are some of the tribes not mentioned? The tribes of Dan and Ephraim are not mentioned, while the tribe of Levi, which did not receive an inheritance among the other tribes, is. You will also notice that the tribe of Joseph is mentioned. Back in Genesis 48, Joseph's two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, were adopted by Jacob and given an inheritance in Israel. It appears that Dan and Ephraim are not mentioned here because they went away into deep idolatry during the kingdom years. Therefore, they are left out of the list. And thirdly, how and when will these 144,000 be saved? I think they will be saved by the preaching of the two witnesses mentioned in Revelation 11, 1 through 12. God will send two preachers to preach the gospel in Jerusalem. These 144,000 will be converted and will be sealed to a special ministry by the Lord. It's what makes them so special, number four. To answer that question, we have to fast forward to Revelation 14, verses 1 through 5. There, we learn that these men are sexually pure. They are virgins. We are also told that they are completely dedicated to the Lamb of God. They follow him wherever he goes. They do his bidding without question. They are also called to first fruits to God and to the Lamb. They are the first of a vast multitude that will be saved during the dark, dangerous, and deadly days of the tribulation. Another thing that marks them as special is that God knows who they are. 
There is only one Jew in the entire universe who knows which tribe he is from. There is only one Jew who still possesses an accurate genealogy of his ancestor, and his name is Jesus Christ. He is from the tribe of Judah in Matthew 1. No other Jew knows which tribe he is from. I'm speaking slowly so we get this because all of the genealogical records were destroyed in 70 AD when Titus, the Roman general, destroyed the temple in Jerusalem. The birth records were stored there, and they were destroyed forever. Now, no Jew may, may know which tribe he is from, but God does. He knows how to find them. He knows how to save them, and he knows how to use them. We see their occupation. Now that we have a little more information regarding these men, let's look at what their mission will be during the tribulation period. Back in Matthew 24, 14, the Bible says, And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. Despite 2,000 plus years of evangelism and mission work, this, has, this, has, this verse has never been fulfilled. There are hundreds of millions of people in our world, billions of people, who have never heard the name of Jesus Christ, much less the gospel of grace. There are places in our world where missionaries simply can't go. During the tribulation, that's all going to change. The Lord will raise up an army of 144,000 converted Jewish evangelists who will take the gospel to the ends of the earth. They will fulfill the prophecy of Matthew 24, 14, which says, And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall come the end. I'm sorry, and then shall the end come. Read that correctly. The Antichrist will try to stop them, but he will be powerless to hinder their ministry. He will not be able to silence them. He won't be able to kill them, and he will not be able to stop them. They have been sealed by God, and they will be protected until their ministry has been fulfilled. Have you ever met a converted Jew? I have. A good friend of ours, when we lived in Phoenix, a couple, they said that they were Jewish by birth, Christian by choice, and they were zealous. When a, when a Jew comes to faith in Christ, man, oh man, uh, these folks, they, they became good friends of ours. We were in the house many times. He asked me to sing, uh, I Come to the Garden Alone as a solo. And, and I, if you know me, <laughs> uh, in fact, you've heard me sing, uh, I'm not really a singer. But I did it because he requested it. And uh, people said that, wasn't too bad, but uh, they were just being nice to me. But, but a born-again Jew, there is no one more zealous than when a Jew comes to faith in Jesus. For all intents and purposes, the church has failed in her efforts to reach the world. We spent literally trillions and trillions of dollars, and still the world is filled with unconverted and unreached. Here in America, we spend more on dog food we spend more on perfume, way more than we spend on mission work. It's so sad. We live in a day of global communications, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, you name it, it's out there. And still, 
we have not been able to take the gospel to anywhere near all the people of the earth. God help us. Many will not even take the gospel to their own neighborhood, their own city. Oh man, that's so sad. This will all change during the tribulation. You might not imagine it, but the tribulation will see the greatest evangelistic effort the world has ever, ever witnessed. These 144,000 redeemed Jewish preachers will take the gospel to the whole world and a vast multitude will be saved as a result. Man, that excites me. I'm so glad the Lord is going to redeem millions and millions during the tribulation. Still, still, I want to see Christians do more to get the gospel out during our day. We can do better. We should do better. We must do better. I must do better. Look in the mirror. That's who should be better. Be doing better. Now, these 144,000, they're, they're still a mystery. We will study them in more depth when we get to chapter 14. For now, we should take a moment to thank God for His grace. We should praise Him that He has a great plan to save many people during the most horrible time the earth has ever known. We should also thank Him for His sealing ministry in our lives. What a blessing it is to know that we have been sealed and that we are safe and secure in the Lord Jesus Christ. We should also look at our efforts and share the gospel in these days. Now, I don't know about you, but, but I look in my mirror. You know what? I'm ashamed of myself. I go out door knocking every Saturday, but I can do more. My neighbors, I've never talked to my neighbors, save one or two, that Jesus Christ can save them. I need to do more. We all need to do more. We need to do more. I'll pray for you and you pray for me. Let's do more to reach this planet for Christ. And so here's, here's the invitation. If you would like to praise the Lord for his grace in your life and for the seal he has placed on you, you need to come and do that right now. I know you're on the other side of this, uh, this uh, platform here, but uh, we, need to, we need to thank God that we have been sealed until the day of redemption. Would you come and ask him to help you be a better witness for the glory of God? Would you do that? If you're not saved, if you're not saved, you need to receive Christ as your personal Savior so you will miss the tribulation. You can do that right now too. Just, just, just confess your sins. Believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Ask him into your heart to be the Lord of your life. And he'll save you if you're sincere. With the mouth confession is made, with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. Won't you do that right now? Next week, we are going to look at another lesson. In episode 20, we're going to catch our breath a bit and learn about the great multitude of people who are saved out of the Great Tribulation. J. Michael will tell you a little bit more about that in just a second. So until next time, keep looking up and listen for the shout. God bless. So, just how does 144,000 soul winners reach an entire planet? 
Keep listening, and we'll learn in the upcoming lessons. In episode 20, we will catch our breath just a bit and learn about the great multitude of people who are saved out of the Great Tribulation, who they are, and what they will be doing. It's a not-to-be-missed episode. So, until then, this is J. Michael Edwards reminding you to keep looking up and listening for the shout.